bit since last time I was here. Some new faces, actually lots of new faces. Um, and then previously this summer, our kind of partners in ministry, Argo and Rachel, were here, so some of you may have met them. Some of you may have even seen the video already, but just wanted to kind of lay a context and let you know about the ministry in Ethiopia, what's going on. Uh, before that, my wife, Megan, sends her greetings, and my two kids, they don't really send their greetings, but I just <laughs> looped them in there. Um, and yeah, Rachel and Argo, they, say, they wanted me to say hello to you guys. Um, yeah, I wanted to personally say thank you. Part of one of the reasons that God brought us back was to connect with churches and leaders and people that we have a relationship with. You know, so much of our walk, our Christianity, this journey in life together as we're following Jesus is done with people beside us. And so we have the understanding. Um, we are thankful for those that walk beside us through prayer from this church, those that walk beside us through emails and Skype calls and sending things and bringing teams. So we recognize you guys and just wanted to say thank you. As Tim mentioned, there's a meeting, or was it Kobe? After service, for those that are interested, if you want to ask questions or even just know how to pray or what's going on. But I'm going to share a briefly about kind of a little bit of a timeline to catch everybody up to speed. So the story starts with one. No, that's how most stories start, right? Just like one person in the Lord. Then another person comes alongside. Then another person comes alongside. That's kind of what happened with us. I've known Tim for quite a long time. Actually, my wife knows Tim and Grace longer than I have. Um, but we kind of came on, I came along the scene around 2004, and all of us, Rachel, Argo, Tim, Grace, myself, my wife, we all met at this, at the Bible college out in Hungary. You know, we just thought God had us there for a season, and um, we're open to the things that God wanted to do, but we didn't even know what that looked like. Uh, so we went out, and a lot of friendships were formed. Obviously, the six of us, there was three couples that came out of that unbeknownst to us, that that was going to happen, but that was part of the blessing. And um, one of the things with Argo is that he came as a refugee out of Ethiopia. So he didn't, had no desire to get back. And on, on top of it, he was legally in Europe. And by the way, he was marrying an American girl. Rachel, out of all of us, out of our, our four, was probably the only one that thought she was going to be or intentionally be in, in missions. She, at 15 years old, had a heart, uh, told her parents and said, you know what, <clears throat> when I grow up, I want to be a missionary in Ethiopia, and I want to work with orphan kids. And she's from Indiana. And she thought, why, Lord, are you taking me to Hungary? Why would you do that? I want to go to Ethiopia. You're taking me to this Bible college in Hungary. What's in Hungary? Why don't you just get me on a plane to get to Ethiopia? So then she meets Argo, the only Ethiopian on campus. <laughs> just the way the Lord works the one. And so Argo was kind of dragging his feet a little bit. If you were here, he'd be telling you the same. Like He felt like the Lord was calling him to go back, but it wasn't a popular idea. People would be like, what are you doing? You can earn money overseas and send it back to your family. You have the golden ticket. Why would you come back? And so when they met, it was kind of that final nudge to say like, okay, let's do this. And so they got married in 2005, moved to Ethiopia about 10 years ago. And they went through a lot of adversity. 
They tried different ministries. They tried street kids ministry. They tried Bible studies. They tried many things, but kind of at the heart of everything was to reach children within the community. So in 2010, they got their first child, Lantu. She was the one in the video that was singing, Cast Your Burden on Jesus. And as the first child, that child kind of, of course, it's special, right? That child is special. And so she came with many special needs. She came with unable to walk, unable to speak. Um, the size, she was five years old, the size of a three-year-old, severely malnourished, a heart condition, lung conditions, eye deformities. She came with all of these problems. And the doctor said, don't waste your money. This little girl's probably going to die in some months. And I was like, well, as long as she's with us, we'll love on her and we'll give her Jesus. And so it started with one. And when I went to visit to scout out bringing a team from the Bible school, because at that time my wife and I were serving on staff at the college in Hungary, um, I wanted to bring a team of students, short term. And so I went to scout it out to see about what we could do, short term, right? (laughs) Um, And I said, okay, well, you know, what could we do to bless them? How could we you know, be effective in serving? How could we encourage them? Which are all good things. And when I went there, it was totally different than any experience I had had um, in visiting orphanages in Eastern Europe. You know, there's kind of that mental picture of the flickering fluorescent lights and the kind of the dirty white walls and the baby crying in the crib by itself. You know, that's really skinny. That's what I kind of had prepared myself for, or at least something similar in that context. But when I went, it was these kids running around full of life, calling Argo and Rachel mom and dad. And what I walked into was a family. And to see it function in that way was totally different. Because it wasn't about just taking care of these kids. It's basically raising up people to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to make him known which is kind of all of our call, right? And so um, it's kind of loving the least of these in that culture. And so I was impressed. I mean, I was shocked. I was moved. And one of the things that the Lord really used to actually get me there, because again, this was a thing. uh, My idea was a short-term trip, was there's two ways that kids came to the orphanage at that time. There was 14 kids, two primary ways. Number one, they were kids that were abandoned. So they were babies that were abandoned next to a clinic, next to a police station, uh, in a factory. That was one. But the other one, you saw maybe a group of children sitting around um, in front of an Ethiopian flag. Those kids were, are considered, they're called mingi, according to their um, tribal classification. And what that essentially means is that they're cursed. Okay? And as being cursed, they are supposed to be in deserving of death, according to their custom. So these kids were literally plucked and saved to come to this orphanage in Owasa that's like 15 hours away. It's not around the corner. We're talking about 15 hours. It's not like 15 hours a straight shot from like Southern California up to Oregon. We're talking about three day, two and a half day, three day journey because you don't drive in Ethiopia at night. There's no street lights, and the roads are really bad. And so, Lord, wh- why did you, you brought them to this place to hear about you, to be loved on? 
and I saw in them so much potential. I said, you know, I said, oh gosh, Lord, like what are they going to be? What are they going to do? Of all the places they could be, they come to this place. What, what kind of teachers will they be? What kind of wives will they be? What kind of husbands will they be? What kind of fathers and mothers? What will they be when they grow up? And you see value and purpose and potential. And there was two things that happened for me personally in that moment. Conviction. Not condemnation, conviction. Because truthfully, I don't see the people around me that way all the time. When I go through the drive-thru, when I'm driving on the freeway, when I'm walking in the, t- in the store, I don't see people with that much purpose and value. And it was like the Lord gave me a small taste of how he sees people. And then connected to that was the Lord saying, this is your story. You are an orphan. All of us were orphans that by the blood of Jesus, by the price that he paid, were adopted to come in. You see, Ephesians says that you and I, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had a death sentence like these kids. But God made us alive. But God intervened. But God stepped in because we could not. And so I was super moved, came back, walked in the door. My wife is pregnant with our second child. And she says to me, what did the Lord show you? And so the Lord had been speaking to my wife. And I say that her faith was greater than mine because I actually had to go see it with my eyes. She didn't have to. But the Lord had already been preparing her. And, um, and I shared this story with her. And we prayed some weeks and decided, okay, this is this, the direction we're heading. This is our next step as a family. And I wrote this letter. And it's kind of tattered and ripped in certain pages. I got small kids. And, and the letter I wrote to myself. And it said, you know, dear, dear Sean, Megan, Jude, my, my oldest one, and my unborn child. These are the verses that God gave us. These are the things that we're standing on as we move in this next direction. It's not about our ability. It's that God's calling us. And so these are the things that we're going to fall back on when times get tough. These are the things that we're going to turn to and look to and trust in because these are from you, Lord. So we're going to walk in that. And I, I uh, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and had it, gave it to a person, a friend, to mail it to me six months later. Because it's one thing to be really excited in the beginning of something. You're like, yeah, the honeymoon phase. And then it goes okay, this is tough. There's all kinds of paperwork. There's all kinds of budgetary needs. There's sharing. There's all these things. And, um, and I've turned to that time and time again through sickness, through trials, through good stuff. Yeah, Lord, you, you spoke to us. You've called us to be here, and this is what we're resting in. We're not resting in our emotion. We're not resting in the circumstance. We're trusting in you. You got us here, and you're going to keep us here. And so that's what we're we're walking in. But um, as I said, going back to the the children's homes, that was our part. But going back to the children's homes, in 2012 when I went, there was 14 kids. We come along by 2013, a year later, and moved there, and there was about 24, 25 kids. Since then, in the last three and a half years that we've lived there, there's about 20 kids that come per year. We've been privileged to see about 25 local adoptions 
and reintegrations with other family members while we've been there. But we're running right now at about 65, 65 kids between all the homes. And you see, it started off with just Ebenezer Grace. And then while the team was there uh, in summer of 2015, when the team from this church came, there was Ebenezer Grace. And we were preparing to start a second home. Because you see, that little girl in the beginning, that first child, she went home to be with the Lord in October of 2014, the age of nine. So as a kind of memorial or to reach those kids that were like Lontu, Lontu's home was open a year later in October of 2015 with a, with a heart to reach um, kids that need more individualized care, whether that's newborns, like really small kids, or kids with special needs. So that home opened in October of 2015, and there's 18 kids there now. And then there's a, a home that we partner with, a third home that we don't fully operate, but we partner with based on um, it's, it's children with HIV, orphans with HIV. So um, please pray for us. I don't sit here and say, like, I have a degree in child psychology, and I've, I, I, have, I know what I'm doing. Like, half the time, we're just like, what are we going to do? But if God's bringing these kids to us, it's intentional. It's purposeful. He's going to provide what we don't have to offer them. He's going to give us wisdom. He's going to help us raise them. We're at, the, we're at the stage where a lot of the older kids are girls, and they're teenagers. I have a five-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. I don't know anything about raising teenage girls. That in and of itself gets me on my knees. Lord, help us. I was, I was the cool uncle that when I was first there, they wanted to take selfies with. Now I'm like the, take a picture with me. What did I do wrong? I'm asking my wife. Did I do something? Did I, do, did I say something? Did I offend them? So we're just needing wisdom in, in, in a lot of decisions and a lot of the raising of these kids. Our biggest prayer request right now, because people ask, is for land so that we can build like homes on there to accommodate all the growing needs. And um, there's also, if you guys are interested in that, uh, there's a table in the back and there's these flyers. And with these flyers, there's um, child sponsorship. What that looks like in our context, if you're interested, is it's about 30 bucks a month, dollar a day. And it just goes to the care of that child. The caretakers and the food and the school fees and the medicine you parents know, right? There's a cost attached to it. There's no pressure, no obligation. Just want to throw it out there for anybody interested. There's also a sign-up sheet if you'd like to receive updates on the ministry and what's going on. And if you have any questions, I'll be around back there to answer any. But yeah, this is a collective work. Our two families, like a staff of 40 Ethiopian employees. Yeah, 40. So the ministry has gone from... From, you know, the number of kids you can count on your fingers and toes to, I mean, you're talking a ministry of reaching not only the kids, but the staff of well over 100. So we need wisdom. We need the Lord. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Old Testament, Minor Prophet, 
if you take like that cutoff point between the Old Testament and New Testament, and you go back about five books, you'll hit Habakkuk. While you're turning there, um, I'll kind of introduce this from a, a standpoint of, do you ever have those messages that are like a boomerang? They keep coming back. You feel like, man, I'm never learning this one because the Lord keeps like bringing it back to me, bringing it back, bringing it back. This is the message for me. This is the one I, I, I come back to. Habakkuk has been like this um, Old Testament friend for me because <laughs> there's so many things that I can relate to and I hope you can relate to as we look a little bit through his experience through his relationship with the Lord. You see, Habakkuk, his, his name means wrestling and embraced. And so we'll, we'll read that Habakkuk didn't go through an easy process. It wasn't that the things that we're about to read right now were said from a place of being on a mountaintop or going through easy circumstances or total blessings physically. It was in a hard season. So let's read Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 17 to 19 about him being the God in the process and of the process. It says there in verse 17, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. So Habakkuk comes to this place, and we read kind of at the at the end of a story. You know, who likes stories, movies? I do, right? And if we just see the end of a movie, you're like, that's great. That's really cool. But part of what we love is seeing the process of a character develop. We love seeing the underdog win. We love seeing how somebody changed, how they weren't the same, but they changed, that there was a process of change to get them to a place where they could kind of become victorious or they could reform or a hard heart can change to a loving heart. We love reading these stories. That's one of the reasons why Scripture is so powerful because it's the greatest story ever told. And it tells us about Jesus. But how does this guy, specifically Habakkuk, how does he get to a place where he says, there's no blossoming, there's no fruit, the crops are failing, the fields are empty, the animals are gone, and you know what? I'm going to find my joy in you, and you're my strength. You see, it's as if he's saying, that no matter what the circumstances are, that even if things don't work according to the way they're supposed to, even if things don't happen according to the way I expect them to, even if they're not logical, not reasonable, if I put something in the ground and I water it and I tend it, it's supposed to grow, what if it doesn't? He says, I'm going to rejoice in you. Lord, you're my strength. And for me... I look at that and I say, I, how, do, how did he get there? How did this guy get to a place? Was he super spiritual just all the way through and he's just like, yeah, I'm on this mountaintop like I said earlier? 
I'm, all these blessings are being poured out, and even if nothing happens, Lord, I'm going to rejoice in you, and you're my strength. And so what I'd like to do is see the change and the development and the resolution that happened in Habakkuk's life. Because his name, again, in the Old Testament, it was a big deal, the name, the meaning of a name. From wrestling to embraced. That only speaks of relationship. You don't wrestle by yourself, right? That's no fun. Get in front of the mirror and wrestle. You don't embrace yourself. That's awkward, right? So there has to be someone on the other end. There has to be a relationship. And so this is one of the only two books of the minor prophets that really deals with God and a man. God and a person. The other one is Jonah, right? It's like you're almost like eavesdropping on this conversation or interaction between God and a person. We don't know the length of time. We don't know if it was hours, days, weeks, months, years. We can make assumptions. But we know that this was, we see an interaction between God and the person. And so I'm going to just go back to the beginning to see where it all started. Because I think there's a lot of us that can identify with where Habakkuk's at in this process. There's three stages I kind of want to share about the process that can happen. And these aren't the only three, but these are three that I've observed from this text. There's the confused stage, right? The stage of asking questions to not understanding. There's the confused stage. There's the waiting stage. How many of us like to wait? Not me. (laughs) I hope I get better as I age, but waiting stage. And then there's the prayer stage, the prayer and worship stage. And sometimes, for some of us, they can change every five minutes. Some of us, it's these long seasons. Some of us, certain of those seasons are longer than the others. And it's not necessarily a progression. It's just different stages. And maybe you can identify with one of those stages or all of them at the same time. So let's go to Habakkuk 1. And we'll see that it starts in relationship. Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 4. And it says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity? And cause me to see trouble. For plundering and violence are before me. There's strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. So Habakkuk comes to this stage and he's confused. And he's asking why. Right? The beginning of verse 3. Why? Why do you show me these things? Why are these things happening? Because, you see, this Habakkuk was a prophet to God's people. So this wasn't happening in the world. It's not like he's going to like other nations and kind of wagging his finger and, and putting his hand on his chin, saying, Lord, why do you have all this stuff going on over here? He's going with in-house, so to speak, among God's people. And these are the things that are present. There's division. There's fighting. There's all kinds of strife. Lord, why, why are you allowing me to see this? Why is this going on? Why? 
And some of us maybe have grown up with an understanding that it's really bad to ask God questions. But you see, I ask questions of people that I have a relationship with. I ask questions, you know, I don't, I'm not going to ask questions of the teacher that's badgering me or that doesn't care. The one who's open to answer, you're open to listening, I want to ask questions. And in a greater sense, the Lord is not afraid of our questions. He wants us to come, not clean ourselves up, but come in our honesty and come and ask and come and seek. Come in our confusion and come in our mess. And I'm so thankful that God wants to meet us in our messes, that he wants to meet us in our confusion like he will with Habakkuk. You see, because in verse 5, God's going to say, I'm going to do something, Habakkuk. You know, I've observed these things. Any question we have, anything that we see or anything we don't understand, do you think God understands that? Do you think God knows what he's going to do? Do you think God's going to be disappointed that you're asking him a question? You see, there's honesty there. And at the heart of every deep relationship that we have on a human level, there needs to be honesty. In my marriage, there needs to be honesty. With my kids, there needs to be honesty. Because why? I love them. I want my kids to ask me questions. I don't want them to be intimidated by asking me questions. I want them to come. And I'm a human father. Imagine our heavenly father who knows everything, who sees the beginning from the end, who formed us in our mother's womb to the day we breathe our last breath. He knows everything, and he's not afraid of our questions. You know, similarly, I I also go back to, because I love that the the Bible works, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, they're they're intertwined. And so a a passage I think of when I'm thinking of questions and honesty and, and not understanding it's, I just have to look at, read through a gospel and look at the disciples. Most of the time, they didn't understand what was going on. Did you know that? Like, they didn't have it all together. They weren't, God didn't call these, like, Jesus didn't call these super intelligent, super spiritual people to follow him. It's those that he, he called, they followed him, they had questions, he didn't wag his finger like, you guys are crazy. I think most of the times, they didn't understand One account I want to just turn to real quick is John chapter 6. And it's really important in our stage of confusion that we understand that we can bring our honesty before the Lord. Verse 66 to verse 69. I'll set a little context. This was numerically, quite possibly the greatest numerical ministry that Jesus had in his earthly ministry. The feeding of the 5,000 had happened, okay? Many people were following him. He was popular. The disciples probably feeling pretty good about themselves. Like, we're following the right one. Look at, all the, look at all that's happening. Look at the miracles we're witnessing. And then Jesus comes to a point where he searches the intentions of those other people that are following, the thousands. And he says a hard statement. It's still a hard statement today. You know, many theologians have debated it or discussed it. And he says this weird statement of, eat of my body, drink of my blood. And it says, oh, this is a hard saying. And so a lot of people left. They turned the other way. Why? Because they didn't understand. Instead of 
coming to a place where I don't understand, so therefore I'm going to go to the one, I'm going to seek his character, I'm going to go to him, they turned away. And so this, now he's going to turn to his disciples. And in verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Verse 68, But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It doesn't say anywhere that the disciples had any idea about what Jesus was talking about. I want you to notice that. The reason that they're not living, leaving, excuse me, the reason that they're not leaving is because they come to know something. They've come to know his words and they've come to know his character. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah, and you are the only one that can save. It wasn't, well, I understand everything that you're saying perfectly, Jesus. So that's why we're going to follow you. It's, you have the words of eternal life, and this is who you are. You're the Christ. So even if we don't get it, we're still going to follow you. Okay? So with his questions, turn back to Habakkuk. With his question... With his confusion, Habakkuk didn't turn away like the, the many disciples. And many people still do that throughout history. Well, I don't understand what God's doing. I'm going through this circumstance. He's saying something that I don't get, so I'm just going to leave. I'm going to bail. But you see, what this does for us, the Word, is it points us to hope. It points us to God, and it shows us the character of God for man, for us. And within that character becomes a person that we can trust, even if we don't understand. I didn't know half the stuff my parents were saying to me sometimes growing up. I didn't understand half of the circumstances, but what? It was who I was with. And so in verse 5 of Habakkuk 1, God is going to respond to Habakkuk's cry, him crying out of, you know, making his proclamation of confusion and asking questions why. And in verse 5, it says, or God says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it were told you. See, oftentimes this verse is used out of context to talk about something miraculous God is going to do. And does he still do miracles? Yes and amen. But what he's going to say in in the rest of this chapter is how he's going to bring a nation more wicked than God's people to judge them. What? Hold on, Lord, I bring you this problem, and then not only does it not get fixed, but now it's something worse than what, it, what I came to you with. So this, this thing, this, this work in, our, in my day, this work that I wouldn't believe, though it were told me, it's going to be judgment by another nation? Are you sure? There used to be um, a pastor at the Bible college we were all at, I used to go into his office and ask a question. I feel like I would walk out with five more questions. Do you ever have people like that? <laughs> I don't get it. Wait, what? Mark Walsh. Um, but no, there's, there's um, sometimes we walk to the Lord with questions and we go before him. Sometimes he answers. Sometimes we're waiting. We're waiting for the answer. But he doesn't promise that he'll give us the answer that we want all the time, Right? 
And so here, Habakkuk, he, he ends the rest of this chapter, this, this section of, I don't get it. I'm confused. And wait, now I'm more confused. I thought you were going to bring a little clarity to this, Lord. But I want you to notice Habakkuk's response. Go to chapter 2. We're going to fast forward in our story a little bit. Habakkuk 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 4. He says, and this is his response, the end of his response back to God. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me, what I will answer when I'm corrected. Okay, I'll stop there before I read the other verses. So Habakkuk says, I'm not going to turn from the Lord because I'm confused. In actuality, I'm going to set myself up on the wall. I'm going to set myself up in a position to hear. Because why? I know God wants to speak. Relationship. I'm going to turn closer. I'm going to draw nearer to the Lord in my more confusion. I'm not going to turn away from the Lord. And so he sets himself on the rampart, on the wall. He's going to stand his watch, not someone else's watch. This is personal. Relationship is personal. Someone else can't feel what I feel. Someone else can't think what I think. Someone else doesn't know what's going on. This is Habakkuk's watch. Remember, this is his wrestling match with the Lord, right? And him being embraced. And so he sets himself on the rampart, and he says, I'm going to watch to see what he will say to me. I'm going to wait because I know he's going to speak. I'm going to draw near to him. Because why? by this point, we don't know Habakkuk before this, but there's some type of, we know he's identified as a prophet, relationship with God. So in my state of confusion and double confusion, I'm going to set myself up in a position to hear. When we're confused, do we put ourselves in a position to hear? Do we set our Bibles aside, our prayer aside, right? Or do we put ourselves in a position to hear? Lord, I don't understand. I really don't. I'm confessing that. But I know you. I can look back in the rearview mirror of my life and see your faithfulness. I can see your character. You've taken care of me thus far. So I'm going to trust. And so then the Lord's going to respond back, verses 2 through 4. He says, then the Lord answered me and says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So how's the Lord going to respond to Habakkuk? I'm going to give you something to write down. I'm going to give you a message. And you know what? It's going to be for others to run with. You see, Habakkuk could say, you know what? I don't want to write anything down. I want to be a part of the solution. You know, sometimes when the Lord speaks to us, when he puts a burden on our heart, we think we have to be the ones to satisfy or fulfill that burden. But what if, what if the Lord's speaking to us so that it can inspire someone else to help run. You see, we're all running this race. All throughout the Bible is the illustration of running a race. But what if the things that he's speaking to me or the vision that he's giving me is for other people to run with? You see, thousands of years later, we're still reading about the vision that he wrote down. What if he didn't write it down? 
So there's times like, you know, you see in, in our context, of, uh, in our family is in Ethiopia, I often think like, Lord, how are you going to use this in my kids' lives? You see, our obedience isn't just in our decisions and our, or our choices even, good or bad. It doesn't only just impact us. There's that deception that, oh yeah, that sin, that choice will only impact you, but it, or that obedience will only impact, no, it'll impact everyone. It impacts everyone around you. And so, Lord, in our obedience, in our, maybe you'll use something like, what, what will this, how will this impact our kids? You know, there's, um, there's one story I want to share. Like, I had a hard day, and sometimes the, some of the boys from Ebenezer come to our house to, uh, that are around my son's age. He's five. And they come over to play and came home and whined to my wife about how rough my day was. <clears throat> and I go in the room, and I was just kind of taken aback because of seeing the ones that my son would call his friends and seeing the interaction. You see, three of the boys were mingy. They were cursed. They were supposed to die. One of the boys has HIV, orphan. And another boy that we have has no arms. And they're all in superhero costumes. Superheroes are cross-cultural. They're all in superhero costumes. And the one with no arms has a sword between his toes, and he's fighting with my son, like, play fighting. And, and they're having a great time. And I think, yeah, Lord, there's hard days. But, like, how are you using this in his life? These are his friends. What kind of compassion level might he have? Or what will, you know, um, how will he see the people around him? If these are going to be his friends, like, whoa. <laughs> and so it's, it's things like that. So sometimes the vision isn't just for us. It's for the people that are going to be around us. Because you see, again, we're all running a race. And so sometimes people can be inspired by the vision or the calling that the Lord's put, placed in your life, and you speak that out, and maybe it encourages someone else to come and run. Because at the end of the day, the vision, what Habakkuk was going to write down, was going to be littered or all over the New Testament. And what was that? He says, behold the proud, his soul is not, I'm in verse 4, his soul is not upright, but the just shall live by his faith. You see, this is going to be a repeated truth, a pillar within the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. You see, it's repeated in Romans 1, verse 17, speaking of the righteousness of God revealed. The just shall live by faith. Your standing is based on what you, God did for you, and you responding to that by faith. Galatians 3, verse 11 in contrasted by the law, the same phrase is said, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith. Speaking of endurance, how do we live? How do we continue living? How do we overcome? How do we go through trials? The just shall live by faith. God doesn't repeat himself accidentally. He doesn't forget so when he repeats himself, he's emphasizing something. Just as much as with my kid, I have to tell him over and over again because I want them to understand it and get it. How much more the Lord, the just shall live by faith. And it's not, faith becomes this weird thing. Faith becomes this, um, we can sometimes have like faith become this like thing I must muster up. Faith, I gotta, I gotta have faith in faith. 
but really it's just trusting in the character of, of one who's greater than you. Amen. It's trusting in someone you have a relationship with. with. You just trust in him. You're just saying, God, you know what's best. God, I know you're good. God, I know that you love me. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live by faith. When it's hard, the endurance, like in the circumstances of the writer of Hebrews that he's writing, or even just to remember that my standing isn't based on my works. It's not based on the law, but it's based on what you did for me and how I respond. The just shall live by faith. And so because Habakkuk wrote these things down, look, again, thousands of years later, we're still reading it. We're still reading about division. And so you and I have the opportunity to now read it and run with it. We don't have to run with, you're going to live according to your works. You're going to live according to your feelings. You're going to live according to your intellect. You're going to live according to your experience. Because you see, sometimes, even though, it's not uncom- even though it's a little uncomfortable, I want to live that way. I want to live according to what I could see. I want to live according to what I can feel. I want to live according to my experience, good or bad. At least it's familiar. At least it's something I can kind of trust in or, or it's, it's tangible to me. But you see, the Lord's called us into this relationship by which we don't have to depend on it anymore. He's called us into this relationship by which we go through the same circumstances as the rest of the people in the world. We just have God with us. Which is why when circumstances happen, just like they happen to the world around us, we have this assurance of the presence of God with us. We have the assurance of being able to walk with the living God, to ask questions, to be confused, to not even have all the answers. You see, I grew up, I'm wrapping things up, I'm wrapping things up. I grew up in a place where I thought that Christianity was praying a prayer. And you get your VIP reservation in heaven for when you die. And then God just kind of says, figure out life. Like, you're on your own. Okay, you got your reservation. So my Christianity was based on a retirement plan, essentially. And through this time, I just do what I want and try and figure it out. And yeah, tell people like, yeah, I go to church or I you know, listen to Christian music every now and then or I have a t-shirt. But you see, it was, it was not based in relationship. It wasn't based in trust. It wasn't based in living by faith. It wasn't based in this relationship by which I don't have to have all the answers. You see, I don't believe the Lord wants us to fake it. I don't have to like fake my love for my wife, right? I don't have to pretend. And there's that kind of, there's that deception or that temptation that you have to, you have to pretend. Or Christianity is just this but we miss so much of living by faith for today, to experience, to walk with God today, day by day, to have that wrestling and then be embraced. Only happens in relationship. So that's the first one in Habakkuk 1 is that why, that confusion stage. The second one in Habakkuk 2 is that waiting stage. And then chapter 3 is, is basically his, he comes to a place where he's just going to pray. And at the end of it, in essence, from 17 to 19, which we started with, it's like a worship song. Because it says at the end, to the chief musician with stringed instruments. So he's got his like harp, guitar, whatever, timbrel going. And these are the words that he's singing. 
These are the words that he's speaking. That Lord, though the fig tree may not blossom, even if, you can replace that, even if there's no blossom, even if there's no fruit, even if the olive fails, even if the fields yield no food, even if the flock is cut off, even if there's no animals in the stalls, what's the contrast? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. That sounds awesome. I have deer's feet now. Um, but what, 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 so what changed? I mean, we get a little glimpse into Habakkuk's life. Did God fix things? Did God make his circumstances better? If you look at it from just the human perspective, they actually got worse. A nation more wicked is about to judge the people of God. God didn't fix it. So what changed in all of this? Habakkuk changed. The man changed. And he was only changed by entering into that relationship that he was called into. The heart changed. You see, that same opportunity or invitation is for all of us here. You see, we can't change our circumstances and we can't change people. I would love to <laughs> sometimes. Oh, they irritate me. Oh, this is so frustrating. But we can ask the Lord to change this, this heart. We can leave changed people. We can have a changed perspective. Not because of something we will to do, but because we're entering to the relationship by which all of us have been called into. That all of us have been invited into by the blood of Jesus. He's brought us near. He's given us his word. You see, this is what we can trust in. Him. And only he can change this. You see, I can change all the outside. I could change the way I'm perceived by others, but I need the Lord to change this. I want the Lord to change us, change me from the inside out. I'll close with this. We, we had to come back. Um, we had 12 kids come since in the last few months. And combined with that, we're kind of going through an adoption process. My family, we're adopting two Ethiopian children pray for that. Another side note. And we had a state of emergency announced by the Ethiopian prime minister. So when we actually decided to come, we were in Hungary at the Bible college. I was sharing with some churches in Europe and using that as a base. And so, we, you know, we had a board meeting. Da, da, da. So October 15th, the decision was made, we're going to come back to the States. October 25th, we flew back to the States. We had a 10-day prep. I'm like, I'm just going to reach out to friends to the churches. But one of my friends asked me, he's like, hey man, how are you guys doing? How's this like process going for you? Like, is it hard? Is it, I says, I kind of feel like, you know that when you're a kid and you fall asleep in your parents' car? Isn't that the best? I love falling asleep in the car. Not when I'm driving, but when someone else is driving, I love falling asleep in a car. It's like I sleep the best. Just drive me around, right? And you wake up in a place that you weren't expecting. Where am I? 
and you and you just I said you don't you don't know where you are. Everything's different. I says these are my, this is my assurance for my family and I. I said he's in the car with me, and he knows where he's going. He's in the car with me, and he knows where he's going. So that's what we're just going to trust in. And at the end of the day, when circumstances get tough, or if they don't change and they actually get worse, you know what? He's in the car with me, and he knows where he's going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you alone work in our lives. That you have established our value and our worth on what you demonstrated on the cross. Not while we were good people, Lord, but while we were your enemies, while we were running the other way. And I thank you that by that blood, by the power of the resurrection, that you've invited us into this relationship with you to experience you, not to have a a VIP reservation for heaven alone, Lord, but really, Lord, to engage, to interact, to walk with you for today. And as we walk with you, Lord, you alone have the power to change our hearts. Lord, as I said, we can change the way people think about us. We can act a certain way or fake it till we make it, Lord. But we really need you, Holy Spirit, to change us from the inside out. So I pray, Lord, when sometimes we don't have words to say to you, sometimes there's nothing behind the songs that we want to sing, I pray, Lord, that you give us a new song. I pray, Lord, that we would be like Habakkuk, and as we're wrestling, Lord, that we would be embraced by you. We would draw near to you. We would set ourselves up in a position to hear from you, Lord, because you alone have the words of life, like Peter says, Lord. We don't know what's going on, but you do. So, Lord, in the culture, in the time that we live in today, I pray, Lord, that we would draw closer to you, not become more distant from you. Not say, Lord, we don't understand what we're seeing with our eyes or we're going through a lot of stuff. Lord, no, I pray that we would draw closer. And that's actually why we're here, Lord. So this morning, Holy Spirit, would you touch hearts? Would you draw us back to Jesus? And would we enter into what you just have for us this week, Lord? Pray your blessing upon the rest of our day today because of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.